waiting a long time to interview this guest today. Uh, we've known each other for years by LinkedIn, and I wanted to make sure that Jeff Eichler had something very specific in our topic that I knew he would shine in. And today is the day, and I'm so grateful and eager to get this conversation started. Jeff, thank you for joining me. Oh, this is this is a thrill for me because I've been a, a follower you know, of yours for years. And uh, we have we have great conversations offline. So I'm really looking forward to this one. Excellent. Well, for our listeners, Jeff and I met on LinkedIn years ago, and he came to my no longer virtual conference twice. And we have um, connected on so many different levels. But the thing that always drives me about Jeff is his not just love for history, but for the way that he shares the stories of history that light him up. And when you hear his passion in the words that he uses and following his writing, which I highly recommend, um, you will want to learn more about Jeff. Uh, So I invited him on this episode because I've been thinking about the concepts of authenticity, identity, and human relevance, which we all need and crave. And sometimes we go about finding it in really unproductive ways. And Jeff just had me, uh, he just interviewed me on his current iteration of a podcast about curiosity. And he asked me what I was curious about. And it was exactly those themes. And I finally realized this is the topic to bring Jeff onto my podcast about. So Jeff, when you think of identity and authenticity, what comes to mind for you? Well, I've been thinking about this, uh, you know, coming uh, from our, our previous discussions. And in terms of identity, uh, and this is so interesting, what pops into your head right away is, is work and how, how work has defined me since my early teens. And I go all the way back to when I started working for the Park Ridge, Illinois News Company. I was delivering newspapers. I was stuffing newspapers. Uh, we would we would stuff all the ads and the the television flyers and what have you into the main uh, paper on on Saturday evenings. We would work late into the night so that all these papers could be delivered on Sunday. And it was it was a blast. I loved doing it. I met. A lot of older guys. I learned a lot of words that I had no business learning. <laughs> How old were you? I was like, I mean, at that point, I was like 12 or 13, you know? Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. And um, I mean, nothing I would share with my parents. But uh, the, the, the focus on work was really something that I inherited from my, both my parents. My dad came of age during the Great Depression. Uh, Literally, all the stories that we heard growing up were about trying to find work, trying to earn money from work so that he could bring money back to the family and things like that. The world of work was his world. There was was no um, frivolity, if you will, in in the stories. And one one of the early stories... My fa- my father and mother met uh, during World War II. She was his administrative assistant. He was 
um, managing a factory that built diesel engines for the Navy. And that's when they met. So there's a, a work connection. When they got married, um, they, star they started selling ice cream toppings out of their automobile in the mountains of Colorado. So there was another work-related story. Everything was, everything was work. And um, I learned at an early age that, and I think I, I saw, probably saw this subconsciously, Sarah, is that my dad especially, he would light up when I was working because work was valued, work was productive, work meant something. And he could not identify with the normal things that a, a teenager was going through, like wanting to be in sports or wanting to join clubs at school. He just, he couldn't understand that. So there was never any connection there. But when I started working at the grocery store and he had to, uh, this was before I had my license, he had to take me and drop me off. He would be waiting in the parking lot when I, when I finished and he would say, how was it? How was you know, what did you do today? You know, what shells did you stock? And he would get all excited because it was work, right? It was related to work and he could understand that. So that's, that's one I mean, thing you could connect on. Exactly. And I can, I can go all the way through, you know, education. And when I was working for publishing companies and teaching, and it's the same thing. It's all, my identity has always revolved around work. Mm. When I think of you, and and when I think of this uh, this external view of you, your identity to me is this combination of all of those experiences that you had, and it comes together to create this very intelligent, warm, very thoughtful, and considered and considerate human. That's that's your identity to me, and it is wrapped up in your work, but tangentially because it's that combination of all of your experiences that make you who you are so when you think of the words you would want people to use to describe you do you think in terms of how that relates to your identity well the 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 words that people um have used to describe me uh, two come to mind. One is creative, and the other, very related, is innovative. Hmm. And again, they're they're work related. They were they were born out of the work that I did, both in in my classroom and in the publishing company that I worked for for so long. So, mm -hmm. um, and they're well, two they're, words that light me up. Right, right. Well, they're work related, but they aren't defined by a particular job or a particular role, it's not defined by your title. Right. You know, those, those are, the reason I'm going here is, as, as you know, as part of my book, I talk a lot about your values and how you can demonstrate those through your stories. At one point in the book, I talk about how I found my purpose, how I found my why. And it, it was related to work, absolutely. But it was also related to, um, where I found that I was most engaged and most satisfied. So that wasn't just work. When I really started to look at it, I noticed it was also when I entertained in my home, uh, when I fed people at my dining room table. 
but it was all part of the same thing. That's work. Just because I love it doesn't mean it's not work. Right. Um, I was thinking, you know, there there are other places, certainly that creativity and innovation surface other than traditional work. And I was thinking about the question that you always start with historically, because I've listened to quite a number of your episodes over the years. And it's like, well, what do people not know about you? Right. And what I don't know if I ever told you this, Sarah, but um, I write screenplays as a hobby. And I entered uh, a number of screenwriting contests. This was years ago, but uh, one I entered the Nantucket Film Festival, which is one of the most respected contests. I actually, I was actually a runner-up for the top prize. Wow. I did not know that, Jeff. <laughs> and screenwriting, all this to say screenwriting is, a for me, it's a very creative, innovative process. It's, it it gets me in that flow where I can lose myself for hours. And um, it, it feeds part of my soul, I guess. And when I, when I can't do it or don't do it, I, I notice that something is lacking. This is just triggering all kinds of thoughts in my head. Like I, I have these little sparks going off in my head like rubbing something hard against a uh, sandpaper, yeah. <laughs> making sparks go flying. Right. And I, I want to start with um, my whole blog writing journey shifted when I met Whitney Johnson, sure. um, who wrote Disrupt Yourself and Building an A-Team. When I read a guest blog post on her website about a woman who had given up a, a six-figure career to go be an artist. And at the end, I realized she had a lot of luxury. She could do that. Right. Most of us couldn't give up a career to go not make money. Income is important. So when I, I wrote Whitney Johnson an email, I, I don't know what got into me, but I thought, well, LinkedIn is kind of leveling the playing field. I had met her. We had talked a little bit in, in messages and I wrote her message and I said, you know, I really liked the beginning of this guest blog post, but I have to tell you, I could not relate to it because this woman has luxury and I don't know who your audience is, but none of the people I know could just give up income to not make income and go find a nice quiet cabin in in New England to go write. Exactly. Like, I don't know who your audience is, but that turned me off a little bit. And I just I just had to share that with you. And she said, well, tell me your story then. I'll post it. And I thought, oh my gosh, I, she's totally calling me out on my call out. She's like, well, you try it then. See if you can do better. And I wrote a blog post about this um, performance. All of a sudden, I had become a, a paid vocalist a professional musician. This was around that same time that I had gotten my first paycheck as a professional musician. And what I wrote about was, if you have a dream and you are doing it, do you have to make income to accept that you have realized that dream? Does it have to be tied to making money? Yeah. And it comes back to that whole identity thing. If you're not making money by it, then are you still an artist? 
Of course you are. But we have such a hard time accepting that label, even if we want it and and crave it. I want to be labeled a screenplay writer. But as long as you're not making income from it, can you call yourself that? And I believe you can because you're writing screenplays. Whether anyone buys one is not going to define that success. So I don't I don't know if this translates, but I keep coming back to this whole idea that our identity isn't necessarily the work we do, like a particular job, but it's what we bring to it. Yeah, and as as you're talking, I'm thinking, you know, why I, I took up screenwriting to begin with. And for many, many years, most of my mid-adult life, I'll say, um, I had nothing but traditional work. I had no outside interests, no outside gigs. Um, I was working often six and a half days a week at the at the publishing company. And it cost me a lot to do that. And I needed to I needed to find something where I could invest in myself outside of that. And I had always always been interested in film and I love the idea of film writing and you'll you'll you know me well enough to know that this fits my personality that that film writing can be very formulaic. There's a there's a very tried and true formula for for writing movie scripts at least you know the the typical 90 to 120 minute movie. So it fit with with my a anal personality perfectly. <laughs> you call yourself that, but that's not what I see in you. But go ahead. <laughs> it gave me that that outlet that I I could do something outside of work. Mm-hmm. And that was really that was really the 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 impetus, the self-impetus to to try to say, you know, you, you don't need to define yourself by by what you're doing here. I also shifted my mentality in work, and I think this is an important this is an important story. I was head of um, I was head of the social studies department at what was then the largest school publisher in the country, and I remember getting up in front of my department one day talking about that we had surpassed all of the sales targets that had been set for our department and that we had um, sold X, X amount of, of books into the schools. And my department, your, your, your listeners can't see this, but they were all sitting there like this with their arms crossed looking at me. And I was thinking, what's, what's wrong that they don't get excited about this? And then it dawned on me, sales isn't what defines them. Getting books into the hands of kids and teachers is what defined them. And it was a watershed moment for me because I was in that management position where I had to think about sales targets and what have you. But I had I had lost my connection to why what I was why I was really why doing behind it. Right. Why I was doing what I was doing. And it did, it helped me considerably to think differently about the work that. It's not just about 
the bottom line. It's really it's really about changing behaviors in the classroom and helping kids become more engaged and so forth and so on. So that was for me, that was a watershed moment. So it comes back to this idea that you're you weren't defined by the job. That wasn't your identity. It was why you were doing it. And you could do that in lots of places. You just were doing it, especially during the pandemic, when you started interviewing teachers and people in the education field to help inspire people to bring what they could to the classroom and and virtual classroom in that scenario. So again, your why was, how do we help students? How do we get students into a place where they're comfortable and safe to learn and and you were bringing all that and it had nothing to do with your job but that still remains part of your identity that that why yeah and and the why i think is something that i've written i've written about this in the book that i produce about change in education or the lack of change in education <laughs> is that is that school districts by and large um the, the people within the school can't uniformly answer the question, why are you doing what you're doing? And they'll go back to, well, I'm teaching biology or I'm teaching history or whatever, but there's no collective why that helps them move that school along on behalf of the population that they're serving, the kids. And we see this in business also, is that businesses go and they, they can't really answer, well, why are we doing this other than you know, financial information. So, you know, that's been, that's been a big push for me in the work that I do. It helps get at your other point about relevance. Like, you know, I mean, there's there's got to be there's got to be more than just uh, stock price, if you will. You know, and, well, that's and, what I was I was just going to come back to that. So now that we've talked about identity and where it comes from, and where it can shine, regardless of where you're sitting, what do you see as the connection between authenticity. No, we'll have to get into authenticity next, but identity and relevance. Now that you're thinking along these terms, where does that take us? Where does that take you? Yeah, well, a couple of years ago, it took me into a, a rabbit's hole and a, and a pretty depressing one because um, as a as a podcast post in semi-retirement, I had to confront why I was doing what I was doing. And I will admit to um, seeing, wanting to see my relevance in numbers, how many people were downloading a a particular um, episode, how many people were hitting like, how many people were uh, even leaving or you know, clapping or whatever, or comment or right, yeah, whatever it was, and it was just, it was, it was really depressing to see myself defining my relevance that way, and um, you know, we always use the expression we have to take a hard look at ourselves. It was by it was by taking a hard look at my own practices that I actually extricated myself out of that thinking because I said, 
well, how many podcasts do you listen to? How much time do you have every week to listen to something? And what are you listening to? How many articles are you reading? That and are you engaging with? Yeah, and, and 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 engaging with not just clicking like, but actually, as I, I was talking with with Dennis yesterday, Patoko, and I was saying instead of calling what we have at the end of at the end of in our comments, why don't we put why don't we put um, collaboration or communication or something like that, where it's not just a static event. There's some type of interaction involved, right? So I started thinking about well. I'm only listening to two or three podcasts a week. And if that's the case, why am I expecting much bigger numbers from my listening population when there are now 3 million podcasts that they have to choose from? And everybody is publishing articles for others of us to read. There's only so much time in our day. And it really helped me refocus myself away from the numbers game to, well, why are you doing what you're doing? Why are you focusing on this to begin with? And what what do you get out of that? That 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 became much more important. I don't suspect, Sarah, that you have ever concerned yourself with the number of downloads or comments that people leave. You don't strike me as that type of person, but <laughs> I was I would I went pretty deep for a while. I don't watch it. Closely. I'll check every once in a while. And I get really excited when I'm in the top 1200 of business podcasts in the US. I'm like, oh, I'm at like 1100 or 1085 this week. That's kind of cool. And then it's gone out of my head. Yeah. So you're right. I don't, I don't watch those things. Um, I also, I do struggle though with that look in the mirror, that painful look in the mirror. Why am I doing what I'm doing? If if I don't have income as a result, uh, does that mean that I'm not relevant in what I'm doing? It depends how you define income. Exactly. Well, am I associating money, incoming money for my relevance? Like right. if I'm a coach and I'm not and I don't have clients, is what I'm doing relevant? If I don't have enough clients to make income that is gonna help my family and my household. Am I, am I relevant? Am I doing what I set out to do? And one of my dear friends, Erin um, Freeman McLean, she's an attorney here in Helena. She walked me through this Byron Katie work about uh, separating that success, that success isn't just associated with income. What do you see as success? Well, yes, income has to be part of it because I have to contribute to my household and I have to save for retirement and I have two kids in college, right? But that's not how I define success. That is simply a metric for how I do my business. My success is dependent on are my clients being successful in our work together? Are, are people getting something out of the book I wrote? Um, my podcast. Is somebody going, oh my gosh, I never thought of it that way? Are people changing their minds or thinking about something differently as a result of hearing one of my podcast episodes? Right, right. That's where success is. And I can tell you, after my last keynote, I would definitely say, okay, that's success. And I have to hold on to that. It's not metrics in terms of numbers for me. And some right. people, as a strengths finder coach, I know this, some people 
that's the only way they can measure success is by setting quantifiable numbers. And that's fine as long as you're setting relevant ones that you can actually measure. But when I ca- I want to come back to this whole idea that you went down this rabbit hole and you took the hard look in the mirror. What what was the consequence of coming back out of it? What was what did you hear from people that helped you shift that mindset that what you were doing mattered even if you only had, you know, 25 clicks? Um well Heard from people is an interesting phrase. Um, I don't know how it is for you, Sarah, but it's it's rare for me to hear from people. I did hear from one former guest last night who listened to a podcast where her nephew uh, her nephew is going to a certain school where, where I had interviewed the principal, and that was like that was like an end of year bonus for me to actually to hear from somebody. I hear from former clients, coaching clients, and you know they'll recommend people like that. But I have to say, a lot of this has been internal for me. It's given me a lot more confidence looking at, looking at my work as a, as a podcast host differently. It's given me a lot more confidence to try to go after um, some higher level guests, if you will, to not be intimidated because they're a, they're a household name in 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 some places, and that you know my inner critic used to say, "Oh, are you crazy? They're never going to respond to you." Well, now it's become, well, what could they do? They can either say yes, they can say no, or they cannot respond. Right? So what do you have to lose? And right? it has nothing to do with you. Yeah, it's just like well, they could be they could be busy or whatever, or it never got to them because. One of their intermediaries, um, you know, saw it and said, "Well, so and so is too busy. You know, he's instructed me not to pass these type of messages along." So it's it's almost become a game for me is reaching out and and saying, "No, I have a good show. You you want to be on my show, right? Mm-hmm. We, we, you know, and we can mutually help each other." So I'm still looking. I'm st- and I I think ultimately for me this is healthier. Is I'm still looking for my own voice to support what I'm doing, right? So this actually is a really good kind of full circle when we talk about relevance and identity is how much of that is external versus internal. And I think it's a really important balance that we have to reach because as Paul Howry and um, Brooke Errol and Rajkumari Niyogi, they all talk about belonging, that we can't do it alone. That's not how we're designed as human beings. So there has to be some aspect of external gratification, external relevance, as well as what you're talking about is that sense of accomplishment internally to say, I am relevant because I feel this way, or I know that my work matters, even if I don't hear from others, because I feel good about it. I know I've put my best into it. So where do you, where do you go with that? How do you find that balance? Because I know how I feel about your work and how influential it's been for me. And I know other people who feel the same way in our circle, our no longer virtual tribe and 
other others outside of that tribe who know your relevance, you, Jeff Eichler, what you bring to the table. How do you balance that? So it's a great question. And um, <clears throat> I can say one of the things that's very important for me in this work is um, how far can I take the connection? You know, if I have somebody on the show as a guest, um, does does the connection go any further than that Tuesday when I publish the interview? Do I get a response from them saying this was this was really interesting? Thanks for the opportunity. You know, after I send my thank you note to them, and what's become very very important for me are the. Um, I won't call them connections, they're relationships that I've made with certain certain former guests, people that I met on LinkedIn, people who, who might have been referred to me or whatever, that we've now taken it to the, the, the next level. Diane Whisk is a perfect example, right? And we now talk about things outside of the work she does and outside of the work I do. And you know, I comment on her work. She comments on on my work, and there are there are a number of people like that. So the the relationships, um, and again, I'm semi retired, and I'm very sensitive to the point that you made earlier about. Thank God, I don't need the income. I'm not selling my podcast episodes. I don't have sponsors. I don't need this, except for um, self survival. Yeah, relevant. relevant. Right. All of us need it. Yeah. And um, but what what is really nurturing are those those relationships. Um, uh, Kimberly Davis, Melissa Hughes, you, Diane, um, Tom Dietzler, Tommy. You know, so it's yeah, that's that's really the fuel. There is where where do we go beyond this? Mm-hmm. No longer virtual. That's where we go. We we yeah. show up for each other physically as well as emotionally and intellectually. I love that. I love that because it it really speaks to me in terms of relevance. And um, I would hope that listeners are thinking more deeply about relevance in terms of when they retire or when they are empty nesting, you know, well into our 70s, 80s. What are we giving back in order to feel like we still matter? And I've seen so many situations where people find really unproductive and and sabotaging ways of finding relevance simply because they're not thinking about why they're doing it. And and they're not finding other ways to be relevant. And this idea of connecting and building these relationships, you see so many people who retire or who age to a point where they stop reaching out, they stop building new connections, they rely on the older connections. And if you're within the same age range of those connections that you've known for 30 or 40 years, you're going to start losing them. And then where are you? You remember the story that um, Melissa uh, tells about the, the Charlie Brown Christmas tree and the Rockefeller Center Christmas tree. No, no, if, share it. If we don't, if we don't nurture our connections, our, our, neurons can begin to look like the Charlie Brown Christmas tree, you know, like they're just yeah. these little, these brown dried up things, you know, with a few, uh, a few uh, green, they're not leaves. Uh, pine uh, needles. Pine yeah. Needles. The needles. And she said, 
you know, but then she makes the point when we start to nurture our connections, we start to look like the Rockefellers uh, Center Christmas tree, which is enormous and, and full of pine needles and whatever. So that's what I, I try to keep in mind is that beautiful analogy that she made. I love that. And they all have to be different connections. Um, at the Atlanta No Longer Virtual, where you did, uh, uh, you facilitated a session, we also had a session that I refer to as building your own personal board of directors. Right. And it was all about making sure you're surrounding yourself with diverse thought, with, with people who think differently and have had different growing up experiences and, and all of that. So that all nurtures our relevance and nurtures our, our trees to, to branch out, so to speak. Uh, <laughs> I love that. Well, we'll have to tell Melissa that she was mentioned. Yeah. And I have to also mention one other um, of our mutual network, Heather Younger, who also nurtures those relationships in, in beautiful, phenomenal ways. So we are fortunate, aren't we? Yes, indeed. Yeah, it's a good, it's a good group. Yes. And ever-growing. Yes, which is awesome. So, Jeff, um, for our listeners, uh, just listeners, so you know, all of this information will be in the show notes associated with this podcast at elkinsconsulting.com. So when you want to connect with Jeff and read some of his fantastic blog posts and listen to his podcast episodes, um, you'll be able to find those links on my website. Jeff, when you think of who you want to work with next, because all of this leads me to understand even more what a great coach you are. And I know you do executive coaching still on the side. So who, who would work best with you? So <clears throat> thank you, Sarah. It's really, it's uh, really defined by my, my philosophy, getting unstuck. Um, and I go back to my personal model that I worked, I worked for years in a situation where I felt I was stuck. I was, my feet were in concrete. I didn't feel I could leave the job that I had and I didn't know which way to go. And those are the clients that I love working with who feel that they don't have alternatives. And we know there are always alternatives. We just have to, we have to think differently about it. So anybody who has reached a point where they're really flummoxed, they don't know which way to go, they're stuck. That's, that's who I'm looking for. Perfect. I love it. Jeff, this has been such a treat. As I knew it would be, I knew you would tell great stories and we would have analogies and we would laugh. And I so appreciate your time today. Oh, thanks for having me. It's uh I've I've uh I've enjoyed it and I've looked forward to it. Me too. Thanks for listening to Your Stories Don't Define You, How You Tell Them Will. I'm putting some finishing touches on a new course. Get the offer, job interview storytelling that will be available online in early fall 2022. It is so important that this course is truly relevant, helpful, and useful for my clients. So I'd love your help. Would you please email me at sarah at elkinsconsulting.com or complete the form that's linked on the blog post associated with this podcast episode to add your ideas for the course? I'd love to know your biggest challenges when it comes to job interviews, so the content of my online course is exactly what you need. I appreciate your help. Thanks in advance. <music>